Welcome to Blue Collar Mystics, the under-the-hood approach to the depths of human consciousness. So many mysteries, so little time, so many big words. That's why we aim to take the mystical and make it practical, usable in your everyday life. And you know, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your story. What happened when you started asking yourself the real questions? Like, who am I? What is this? Is it a hologram? Is this some kind of weird cosmic joke? Hey, these are the questions that we are trying to get to the bottom of as we explore the final rabbit hole together here as Blue Collar Mystics. Spoiler alert, everybody. It, it is a cosmic joke. Uh, <laughs> very serious one. Um, but um, a cosmic joke nonetheless. Yeah. Um, we'll skip to the punch. No, I'm excited. We won't do any spoilers uh, from the actual show we're going to discuss a little bit tonight. Uh, but I also just want to really touch on the topic and the ideas and, and uh, Todd's journey. I'm joined with uh, Christian Pierce. We did a uh, episode on this uh maybe a few weeks ago several weeks ago a couple months ago something like that uh with mark steves of my family thinks i'm crazy podcast and we were just talking about the show and the ideas um and i thought we'd make a show about it and you guys saw it and uh, commented and um here we are we've 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 done the whole dance we've uh um texted and messaged and Put the calendar dates all together and everything and i really appreciate you todd for taking the time for being here and christian as well um we're able to talk about this uh incredible documentary that took you several years to make <laughs> a lot of blood sweat and tears um and i'm really excited about the principles that are presented in it and i thought we would mostly touch on that but also your story and your journey with making the production so thank you so much for being here and taking the time to talk a little bit about it. The Anarchist is on HBO. You guys can find it. It's HBO. You can stream it up there. Um, it's really cool. One of the coolest things that actually Christian and I both now have in common is our mothers understood <laughs> principles from the show that we had been talking to them about for, God, probably years, you know? Like I just would tell my mom, like, you own yourself, right? Like <laughs> she's a Christian, right? And so I'd be like, do you own yourself? And she's like, well, I'm kind of God's property, right? Like <laughs> like the Kirk Cameron song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but, um, but yeah, so thank you so much for being here. We're just going to kind of open this up very casual. I want to talk about the show and what you're doing musically and artistically and, uh, and just share about your experience. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's kind of interesting just watching your intro right now. It had me thinking again a little bit or rethinking my own origin story uh, as far as how I got into just this philosophy as well as like the desire to interconnect it with art and filmmaking in some way, which I should say was not the primary like goal of making this show. I ultimately just wanted to tell a cool story. I met these people a while ago uh back in 2016 one of them actually even earlier um in 2010 was when i met one Galt. but um typically when i've, I've said i've and i'm just launching into you know 
Sorry if you had a, <laughs> a structure. No. Um, <laughs> but watching your intro, though, it made me uh, think again how I've you know been saying quite a bit that my first exposure to anarchism was through punk rock, which was my first ideology, my first love. Uh, I got addicted to it when I was 13 years old. But um, I watching the intro made me think again about um, not my intro to anarchism, but my intro to philosophy, which actually went back to my interest in filmmaking. I remember uh, I saw as a kid this documentary I don't even remember what the deal was. I think it was linked to some kind of like strange cult or something, but it was called What the Belief Do We Know? I don't oh, know if yeah, you remember that. I remember that. Yeah, yeah I, I, maybe it was. I, I don't want to disparage it. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but I, I was, it blew my mind as a kid though. I was like, oh my God, like these are the things that I feel like I should have been uh, talking about in church. I was raised Catholic and like, these are the ideas, like why are we not discussing existence and what it means to think and be. Um, and uh, that led me to look into philosophy. And then I watched uh, another movie quickly that was much better, um, much more rooted in uh, intellect, which was a Richard Linklater film, Waking Life. Oh, so um, good. Yeah, that completely blew my mind. And then I fell in love with all of Linklater's work. And that inspired me to become a, you know, a serious filmmaker as a, a kid, because I, you know, saw this format of, you know, I was like, oh, you could tell stories in any way. And um, it doesn't have to be just a movie in the traditional sense. So that was the beginning of both my filmmaking journey and my philosophical journey, which then evolved into interest in some different ideologies. And I studied philosophy in college and while I was studying journalism and yeah, eventually started this wild project. Yeah, it's it's crazy to me that you, you did because this was uh, an idea that was really impactful to me. I had just come out of college uh, maybe a few years earlier and kind of had to come to grips with some realities in the real world that were not even close to what I was taught in school. And I had like this like moment that was kind of like earth shattering for me, but I found these ideas in this philosophy and I'm, it made a lot of sense to me. But one of the things that I think that I've noticed in myself, I won't project it to anybody else is that, yeah, yeah, I could get these values, but I was still kind of unhealed too. You know, it's like, I could understand this stuff, but there was a lot of work that I needed to do spiritually, um, as well. So I think those two kind of worlds can collide. And I think what you, you know, what your show kind of shows is, is, is human nature. Um, and I'm curious what got you into these ideas of, of, you know, uh, this specific type of anarchy or on this trail, you know, chasing these folks to in, into Anarchapulco. Were you already like thinking this way and you were like, oh, cause of punk rock or was this kind of a new brand for you? Yeah, I was in the sense of my work in music. I was playing in punk bands when I was a teenager. I was playing a type of music that we really, it, it was after all of the punk bands had sold out and like mm -hmm. no one was even interested in punk music or emo mm -hmm. anymore. It had gone you know, to the mainstream and then back underground. And uh, we were just doing it because we loved it and we had no hopes of really getting signed to a big record deal or anything. So we had to learn how to make our own career and make our own way and uh, try to build our own systems that were outside of the mainstream corporate entities. Hmm. So we had, me and my friends, my bandmates had these basic ethics that we just developed through that. 
And as I started to explore that's the music of that scene, I started to learn more about the culture and anarchism. And I had this, like I said before, this interest in philosophy and trying to understand the world and what are concepts and where do they come from. Uh, and uh, a lot of bands, you know, the ones I was into around that time were bands like Against Me and Anti-Flag. Um, really, you know, they've alluded to anarchism, but they were also, they had signed to major labels and had gone corporate and had big careers. So I, it left me kind of suspended in this state of like, well, that's interesting, but also I've noticed this pattern of, you know, young people, and this is me at age, you know, 15, thinking like, well, they get into it and then they realize, uh, well, the real world is maybe more complicated than that. It's kind of disappointing to realize that at such a young age, but um, I still was interested in it. And um, I became of voting age in 2008. I was 18 and that was when Ron Paul had his uh, presidential campaign comeback. Um, and yeah, I thought he was the most punk rock candidate that I could find. <laughs> he wasn't perfect, but um, seeing him go on stage in front of all of the Republicans and, you know, ask them, I think the moment that stuck with me the most was him uh, questioning uh, drug prohibition. And he asked the entire audience, well, if heroin was legalized, who in here would go out and, you know, start shooting up heroin and of course nobody raised their hand and to me that was just kind of badass and i was like okay i'll get behind this guy <laughs> um we all know how that ended and then that led me to the libertarian party very briefly and that was even more i don't know disappointing sure. um so yeah I, I had this interest in anarchism from uh punk rock and i started looking it up and realized oh there is this you know, crossover between libertarianism and anarchism, and they're not against business and uh, commerce, which um, a lot of the left-leaning anarchists that I had met when I was younger seemed to be. And it, it just seemed kind of like a, a compromise between, you know, the punk rock impulse, but, you know, the need to create order. Um, so I studied it. I, you know, I went to college, started studying philosophy, and I uh, argued with my professors probably very terribly and thought I was very right because I had learned uh, this new concept of anarchism and they didn't seem to know much about it. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think then I had a period where I was listening to Molyneux and uh, which I'm sure you guys know a thing or two yeah. about him. Sure. Um, and this was way back in like 2010 too. Uh, so this was before he had his big sort of, I don't know what you call it, change <laughs> of heart. Um, Real turn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I met a lot of people in that community and uh, went to a few meetups, went to a meetup at his house. And um, it was cool at the time. I That was how I learned about cryptocurrency in 2010. Everyone was excited because Bitcoin had just hit $1. Um <laughs> And, you know, we, we thought we did it. We were there with dollar parity, um, wow. you know, problem solved. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, met some people and then kind of just things got a little weird. I won't, I don't know if I could get into that. What happened at Molony's house? It was, you know, kind of like a, a scene out of uh, The Master. I don't know. Oh, you... that's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. You tell. <laughs> well, if you, uh, for those who don't know, this is the, um, the film that's, uh, I think it's Paul Thomas Anderson directed it, if I remember 
correctly. Um, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, he plays a character based off of L. Ron Hubbard. It's kind of like a loosely based off Scientology, but um, he does this thing where he psychoanalyzes people in front of his community in his house and his living room, and it mm. gets really intense, and everyone's watching, and the person is sort of broken down and exposed. That was kind of happening at Molyneux's house. I, I thought we were mostly going to be just talking about Bitcoin and you know, <laughs> peaceful parenting and just hanging out and philosophizing. It was a little more intense than that. I started to question you know, whether or not I wanted to get myself wrapped up in a community built around an ideology because of that. Um, I started to you know, realize oh, I'm promoting someone else and attaching myself to them, whatever happens with them, I mm -hmm. have to bear that. And I don't really know Stefan Molyneux that well. So um, yeah, I, and then I, I just learned more about the world and realized, oh, that's not really that helpful or beneficial to me to say I am an anarchist. Like this is me and this is what I believe um, it's kind of just a, a limiting way of approaching the world. world. So, um, yeah, I focused on my art and music, continued to, you know, read some of the, the books and still listen to the podcast. And, uh, yeah, one of the people, though, that I met at Molony's house uh, happened to be uh, this young man who goes by the name Juan Galt. And, uh, yeah, he, over the years, we were connected on Facebook and started to go down to Mexico more often and then going to Acapulco and then talking about Anarchapulco, which is the, you know, don't know how much of your audience has seen the show, but that's, uh, or knows about Anarchapulco, but that's the centerpiece or the, the main uh, hub of the events that take place in the anarchists. Um, yeah, and I reached out to him and saw, oh, wow, there's this interesting community of people who are just going there and staying. And these ideas that I learned about a long time ago and people were just speaking about in the abstract. Now there's this group of people who are trying to really live their lives by these principles in a very, very radical way. And uh, knowing that it's in such an amazing, just a visually beautiful place like Acapulco, but also the controversy around that city and the perceived or real danger, depending on who you ask. So it seemed like the seeds of a, you know, really interesting story. And yeah, it turned out to, to be just that. It was, I mean, it was, it was a really compelling story. Uh, one of the things I loved about it most is it had, you know, so much philosophy, but then there was this narrative built into it without giving too much away. It got really juicy and uh, really suspenseful at, at points, but it also, there was, it was, it was um, set against this backdrop of philosophy, like you said. So I thought it was a really, really great piece of work. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I try to view documentary filmmaking because traditionally it's a uh, it's an educational medium, like in its origin. It's you know the earliest documentary films were just you know created to give people information and to teach them something. And it's only quite recently where the format has kind of shifted and become closer to scripted narrative filmmaking. And a lot of it has to do with just the tools we have available now that weren't at the beginning of the mm -hmm. format where we can shoot cinema quality footage for 10 hours a day, um, which, you know, you couldn't do that even 15 years ago. Uh, you know, everyone back then were shooting on handy cams and, or if you wanted that quality, you had to be shooting on film, which costs you, you know, mm -hmm. tens of thousands of dollars. Um, just for a day of shooting. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, my philosophy toward it, my approach is to, you know, treat it like picking out a good steak. You got to have a, a mixture of, 
uh, protein and fat. And that's, I think the idea is to meld these two traditions, you know, you can still use the format to talk about real issues and real ideas and, um, you know, expose people and teach people about the world. But now we have the tools to create dramatic narratives that really compete with scripted television and scripted film. Um, so we, we have the ability to do both. And I think it's a really just fantastic time to be making this type of art. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, how how exactly did you get into um, documentary filmmaking? Like, was there a specific pivotal moment where you decided, like, this is what I want to do uh, for my life? Yeah, my I was always split pretty 50-50 between music and filmmaking. And when I was young, it wasn't really a particular interest in documentary filmmaking. I just liked the idea of you know, moving pictures and sound and having all of the tools of every art form that you can put together and uh, combine and have, you know, a, a limitless palette of entertaining and uh, educating and connecting with people. And I think my heart really actually is still with narrative filmmaking. I love that more than anything. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, kind of comes out in the series that, you know, I love a good narrative and I love mm -hmm. a good human interest story. Um, and the documentary part really came uh, just because of the accessibility of the format. I didn't have the privilege of going to one of the major film schools like USC or NYU and didn't have, uh, you know, a, a rich uncle to give me 50 grand to, you know, hire actors and hire a cinematographer. And documentary filmmaking is something that anyone can do. And you just have to know a little bit about shooting and sound and uh how to edit and um with the affordability of the, the equipment now there's you know nothing stopping anyone so uh when i was in college i started shooting documentary style commercials and um, that's how i was making money on the side while i was studying and yeah I, I started up a couple uh documentary projects with some friends and i was doing some like local access shows for a while and yeah, I just kept doing that and it became familiar because it's what I could afford to do and did a couple small narrative shorts on the side. But uh, it really is, you know, for me, it's just about filmmaking in general. I think you kind of just do whatever you need to do for any given story to tell it. And uh, yeah, in this case, you know, a documentary opportunity opened up for me. Very punk rock. Very yeah. punk rock. <laughs> Thank you. That is the <laughs> best compliment you can give me. Like uh, working with the invisible hand of, uh, of of creation and just saying, did you, so did you just kind of see the opportunity in that way where you were like, you know, I've put together, I've got skills, whatever. Um, Anarchapolgo is happening. This is interesting. Were you already going down there? What, uh, what made it, what made that the centerpiece? Yeah, I, I had been following uh, Juan on Facebook. Like I said, I knew this community was forming down there and I had been working on a couple other projects at the time. It, it things, you know, people often will look at someone in my situation and be like, Oh man, he's lucky. He just happened to like, you know, be there at the right place, right time. But you don't see how many times I was starting a project and when I was in, you know, wrong place, wrong time or <laughs> nowhere doing nothing and wasted a, you know, days and weeks of my life. Um, so, it, you know, there was plenty of projects that started and went nowhere. And 
this was just one that, uh, you know, in that long list of projects that I started in my early 20s and going into my mid 20s that I, you know, just kept grinding at it and thought, well, I'm looking out for my next opportunity and the next story to tell. And yeah, I went down to Acapulco with the camera um, thinking, uh, I don't know exactly what this will be. Maybe it'll be a, a short that I can submit to festivals, just an interesting, quirky sort of human interest short um, or something that I could submit to an online magazine or something. Um, and I got down there and I met these uh, these people and they were far more interesting than I ever could have imagined. <laughs> and also I didn't have enough time. I was only there for a week and I spent the first four days not even shooting, just getting to know everyone and figure out who would be comfortable being interviewed and being on camera. So I only shot my first round of, uh, you know, a handful of interviews with the Freemans and John and Lily, who I also met um, on that trip. And Juan, of course, who ended up, you know, being an important voice and uh, Erica Harris as well. Um, and yeah, I met them and found them all compelling in their own unique ways. And I also could see their uh, deferring and divergent views on anarchism and freedom and what that meant, which gave me reason to believe that I had the foundation for some sort of conflict that would emerge over time as this community mm -hmm. tried to do their thing. and. Yeah, I watched from afar and left that first trip not knowing what I was going to do, just thinking, oh, I probably have to come back if I want to do something else. And next year came uh, 2017, the big crypto boom, um, which brought a lot of change in the community, which, you know, we dig into in the series. But that's when I really started to think like, OK, well, seeing Anarchapulco explode in this way and now that there's potentially thousands of people going to the conference and John and Lily were forking the event and starting their own uh, conference. It just seemed like maybe there was going to, you know, I could definitely have enough for a feature if I really wanted to dig into this. And uh, yeah, I kept digging, kept digging and things just, you know, got deeper and deeper. And I still don't feel like I've hit bedrock yet. <laughs> I feel like this is a story that could keep going on for a while. I'm sure that's true. I mean, and I can't imagine how much like footage and just stuff wound up on the cutting floor, you know, imagine <laughs> like how much stuff you're having to film. Yeah. Like you were saying, um, we are privileged to have the technology these days that we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It also means disappointing a lot of people though. I don't, a lot of people don't realize, you know, they'll sit down for a long interview with me and give half their day. And I, it's like, you take it to the edit and you have to overshoot doing a documentary. You're not working off of a script. So you need to know you have more than you need and you just end up uh, losing. There's some, you know, a few entire interviews we had that were absolutely amazing and uh, just didn't have a place in the show because the story itself was so rich and the characters we had who were directly attached to the story, you know, were able to explain so much and give so much to the narrative that, uh, we were able to streamline it more, but also it's it's a, always a disappointment. You, you have these great conversations that are just sitting there locked away in the archives and hoping maybe something will come up to put them to use. Hopefully you have more footage of uh, Jeff Berwick rapping. That was, <laughs> that was definitely the highlight. I was like, man, this is Can can't, get it going, can't get better than this. Great. Canadian rap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he uh, he said he was Canada's number two or number three best 
rapper in uh, <laughs> 1986 or something, which <laughs> I think there was probably only two yeah. or three Canadian rappers back then. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeff Berwick was one with, that I was not necessarily as familiar with, but I definitely recognized a lot of people from the show, specifically Larkin Rose, who. Uh, big shout out to him, man. Some of his work just, it just hit me uh, so hard. Like uh, a couple of his books, even, I think I, I, I bought, I've read all three of them. They were all really good. And he's so very uh, matter of fact about the philosophy that he, you know, talks about. I even just saw a video that he put out just a couple of days ago about how the, uh, the constitution is not itself like a, a document about freedom at all, you know? Um, and that's pretty consistent. <laughs> um, did your, did your like views about anarchy change? Like I know a lot of people, they don't even know what anarchy is. Right. And so they see a show on HBO, like my mom or yours, Christian. Right. And they're like, Oh, the anarchist that they're going to tear some shit up. What's it going to be? You know, it's just like a setting a bunch of stuff on fire or whatever. Um, but, um, uh, but how would you, how would you, I guess, how would you describe the people's philosophy that, uh, that you documented, uh, there at our, in Arcapulco? You could like in a, in as, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think it, what made the show so interesting, especially the first half of the show was kind of the, the disagreement over what it meant to be free and how there were some people who I think leaned or attached themselves more to, the concept of anarcho-capitalism, um, which is friendlier to uh, voluntary hierarchies and to having large organizations that uh, you know use some sort of system of property rights. Um, I don't think anyone's really figured out what that system is mm -hmm. um, and how they're you know enforced. But um, it, from a more spiritual sense, they're they're more okay with with that idea of people giving orders and other people kind of not thinking as much and just listening. Um, and uh, in our show, uh, the Freemans, Nathan Freeman and his wife, Lisa, uh, I think represented more toward that end. And uh, on the other end, we had uh, a group of people who were, a, you know, a, not really a distinct group, but a, a people who more leaned toward the concept of agorism, which um, I find it interesting how it's like, even within something like voluntarism, people still sort of form a like a bimodal way of thinking. It's almost like they still get into the left right um, mm. paradigm, even within this subculture like voluntarism where, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's supposed to be to get away from that. It still kind of emerges, which that in itself started to make me, you know, question um, not necessarily anarchism, but ideological thinking and, you know, approaching the world as if like, you know, there is this group of people who have attached this label to themselves and they're the good guys. They've figured it out. All I got to do if I'm, you know, facing a problem, I got to go look up what Rothbard said or what Rand said, and they can give me the answer. I just say that, tell someone to go read it and then conversation over. Um, not everyone in the movement is like that. I met lots of people who are very free thinking and love to have positive, healthy conversation. That was the impression I got from watching your show is that you guys aren't really too, you know, attached to like being a specific thing. You're more so just interested in ideas in general. And these are 
ideas that you were attracted to. That, that was my very brief impression. I could be. Um, yeah, I said that's accurate. Cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I'm not flying any flags, bro. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> none whatsoever. Um, so that that was an interesting part of the story, and uh, it really, I had kind of already started to experience this perspective. Well, you know, earlier on when I got into the Molyneux scene and saw how that went, so I had already been kind of, you know, hands off with ideologies and political movements in general. And uh, yeah, part of it, I think, you know, I'm not sure if maybe it was borderline conscious, unconscious, but uh, I also wanted to see people who were going through that, people who were going through the same thing that I went through when I was a little bit younger. And, um, you know, that experience of the euphoria when you find a new way of thinking and you start to realize. And this is something that I actually I love about what Larkin Rose puts out there is um, you know, I, it's not so much about like just him saying this is how the world should be. Um, I like how he just kind of shakes people a little bit and gets them to to question the paradigms and the systems that they kind of just took for granted mm -hmm. as inherent in reality. Um, mm -hmm. And Larkin has a good way of getting people to to question those things. And that to me is kind of my favorite part about anarchism is that it really is, uh, you know, it's not so much in its best form, in my opinion, about saying this is how the world should be. It's just saying, you know, the world doesn't have to be anything specifically. The world is a blank slate and we are the ones on a social level who create it. Um, so uh, a good uh, analogy, uh, Jeffrey Tucker said to me, um, uh, he was one of the interviews that we sadly had to drop, but um, he, he compared anarchism to, uh, to music, whereas anarchism is kind of, it's not the music itself, it's not the song, it's not the melody, it's the notes on the page. And what you do with those notes and what you do with those rules of music um, is up to you. And you can create anything you want and it can be beautiful, it could be, uh, you know, a... <laughs> Uh, you know, Beethoven symphony, or it could be punk rock, or it could be some really, really chaotic, grinding new music that uh, <laughs> doesn't really appeal to anyone. Um, but, it, you know, that that is the conception of anarchy that I, through my whole journey, took that I hold on to. Um, and the the drama and the politics and the identities and the belief that there is some, uh, you know, category of thinkers who have figured everything out. Um, I've tried to, as much as I can, leave that behind and, um, yeah, just promote the stuff that I like. And also not necessarily say it's anarchism, because they're also just ideas that I can talk about without putting a label. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've had to cope with is, like, I could come up with the perfect uh, set of rules or ideology in my head that it would work out for me in my, in my head. Right. I'm never going to get to even test that much less. Is it going to be adopted by the rest of the world? So, you know, that's just one of the truths of the challenges that we face, but I think it's interesting because we're here as sort of armchair anarchists and you've been, you know, in the trenches, so to speak, <laughs> that might be too accurate of a word. I apologize. But, um, <clears throat> but do you think that, people as far as an intentional community 
type of thing. Do you think these th types of things can happen? Can they happen in a healthy way? Or is human nature always going to uh, clown us when we try and do our own uh, things? <laughs> It's, it's yeah. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but <laughs> I mean, both. I, I think you, you can have both. I think any kind of community, whether it's a small one um, or big one, it's going to have its human challenges. And uh, some communities will do better than others. And sometimes they'll step up and create systems to resolve conflicts. And sometimes they won't and the community will fall apart. Uh, so I, you know, I think some people will watch our show and be like, see, look, this you can't do that because this is, you know, this is just how people are. But no, I, I mean, I think we need stories to, you know, see failures in order to understand uh, how we can do better ourselves. Um, but yeah, I don't have, you know, any kind of belief that uh, you couldn't have some kind of intentional community like what the Anarchapulco folks dreamed of doing and it could grow. But um, I, I would recommend anyone uh, thinking about doing that, maybe try watching the series first and see what you can learn from these people's mistakes. Yeah, I think that was what was so great about it is, is it, it just showcased like the fallibility of human beings. And, um, you know, like you said, I, then we have a tendency to fall into like binary thinking and, um, in a way, maybe that's just kind of how we're structured. Um, I had an idea for a book, actually. We've all—it's a—it's about we've already achieved the anarchist utopia, but then there's a war. So it's like um, it shows you know it's kind of like a struggle, even with you know the so-called supposed like anarchist utopia, because um, there's still that element of human nature that exists. Yeah, yeah, and I, I've wondered lately more and more. Uh just about that like uh it kind of just became programmed in me to be like no we like no more binary thinking like maybe like this is the fundamental problem is everyone is always us against them mm -hmm. um and maybe it's kind of defeatist of me but i i sometimes wonder if that's just something that people need they need like conflict propels society and maybe the the struggle is not so much to uh, rid ourselves of that sort of us against them, but figure out how we can do it in a way that's peacefully and productive and people are able to still change their minds. Um, I have no idea what that looks like. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, you know, I, I tried more lately to think of issues like that when I see a problem with humans, not immediately think that it's bad because there are issues attached to it. Um, and, and that, you know, maybe there is some drive to that, you know, maybe competition is good. I, I think that was uh, in classical liberalism, the, the idea behind, um, you know, free markets and marketplaces is to cr create a set of principles where people can use their natural competitive drive and channel it towards something productive. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's hard. We haven't really figured out how to do that at the core level yet um when it comes to politics and governance so yeah or or maybe we have and i'm like just too caught up in my own <laughs> my own structure of thinking to realize that we actually do live in anarchy and uh you know we're just dealing with it in our yeah, own. maybe that's what it is yeah maybe this is just a 
our way of dealing with it. No, yeah, I do. So I've done a lot of like cognitive behavioral therapy um, and uh, binary thinking is one of like the maladaptive uh, thinking patterns that you're supposed to kind of just become more aware of. You know, the idea is not to stamp it out completely, but just to become more aware of it and notice when it's when you're doing it and it doesn't suit you. Because, yeah, I think there's a there's a tendency for us to like, categorize things and um, to get a tendency for us to break off into opposing teams. Um, and I think we just have to, I you know, I, I know I definitely have to get a little bit better at just noticing when I'm doing those things and it's not suiting my outcome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a, a concept that uh, I came across recently is that's helped me deal with that and come to uh, you know, sort of negotiation with that is rather than um, viewing it as uh, binary when we notice these binary patterns in us uh, is embracing the concept of bimodality, which is a statistical idea that, you know, rather than, you know, on or off, true or false, you have, you know, a two-part system, you have a distribution where things, uh, you know, on a curve kind of go like that and merge in the middle. But it's not mm -hmm. just, you know, A or B. There is, you know, the pattern is real. Things do tend to split into two sides but it's not just one or the other. There is a space in between and outliers on the far sides of it. And uh, often that helps me come to terms with the you know, reality of the situation and also, you know, which is that there are often two sides of something, but then realize you can also have ambiguity and room for negotiation. Yeah, absolutely. And, it's, and that kind of parallels with like the spiritual concept of oneness because it's all ultimately... You know, at least in my belief, it's all ultimately different facets of of of, of the same one. So, or um, in the Kabilion, it's you know opposames. So it's like, yeah, it's it's interesting how you find parallels and things like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's uh, really important to touch on too. Is just the paradox, right? Like, um, it's not all one thing or one all the other it's like somehow we have to resolve that we are all part of the same thing whatever existence is the all <laughs> or whatever that is but we are also separate right and so you've got these folks who are like they're finding out their individuality their sovereignty and they're stoked about it right but you've got all these people who are profound individualists trying to come together and create a group right so there's this uh, dynamic at work that's really kind of contrary to the philosophy that they espouse, but you, we have to make room for both, right? Like that's that paradox, I think, is that we have to ex express our individuality, of course, right? I don't think, um, I don't think people's rights should be taken for granted, right? Um, as individuals, if you want to go be left alone <laughs> or whatever, like go be left alone. But at the same time, you know, if we're going to voluntarily work in a group, there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of circumstances and consequences that are going to arise from that, which is pretty, pretty crazy. And I think that the show does a great job with that. Um, do you consider yourself an, an anarchist, Todd? Still depends how you define it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, if you know, defined in a way that someone like uh, Larkin Rose or um, you know, a lot of other philosophers who, not just the individualists, um, but 
the broad spectrum of historical anarchists who view it simply as the, you know, intent of creating a society as much as possible that's based off of voluntary cooperative action and consent. Um, I'm all about that. I don't know who, who wouldn't be, you know, right. I, I think right. that's a very universal thing. Um, but uh, I mean, that's not what the word means to most people, to most right. people, it <laughs> means the Joker, you know, blowing up hospitals. So right. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm, I, I'm not that interested in being provocative. Um, I, you know, at certain points in my life have been, and I think there's a place for that in our world um, for provocateurs. And uh, we had a couple of those in the series, but I don't, you know, see myself as one of those. I'm more of a journalist than anything. Great. I'm definitely a provocateur. That's why I have this <laughs> nobody for president hat. <laughs> I think that's kind of, you know, getting more and more universally agreeable. But, uh, yeah. Well, I love how you say that because um, I could recognize it. When I first started hearing people talk about these ideas, I was like, oh, yeah, that innately feels true to me. And also this person is making logical sense, you know, in certain ways. Like, I mean, there, like you said, there's a lot there. Like you look at Proudhon or, you know, who, who have, there's tons of different philosophers in anarchy and they don't teach any of that shit in college. Like none of it. I was so stoked about philosophy, too. And like all they did was tell me how wrong I was about everything. I was very right. disheartened, man. It fucked me up, dude. And English did too. But, you know, you got to overcome, I guess. But, but I mean, like those, you don't hear, you don't get to hear that argument or that side. And so when, whenever for some of us who don't ever get to hear that side, whenever you do clicks on and it's like, what the hell? There's all this information, this whole entire other perspective, all these other ideas that I never knew existed. And they really do relate to how I feel, right? Like, I don't want to take your stuff and I don't think you should take my stuff, right? Like, that's really, it's very basic, you know? Like, if we could start somewhere um, simply with some of these ideas, I think, I think it would make a lot more sense in society and to people, whether it's a small group and we are sort of us and them, or it's a larger group, I think the ideas themselves are relatively universal. <laughs> Why do you think we can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, you know, I think I, I really hope, and I, I think, you know, in general, like the, the fact that we've built such a massive complex civilization and for the most part, people do act cooperatively and that, because that is the default, I think, uh, it, you know, something I, I thought of, um, at, I thought of this recently. I watched Larkin Rose responding to the show. He was doing some updates on reacting to people's reactions to the shows. And he uh, he was talking about how he actually, you know, in his life preferred most of the people who would technically be defined as statist compared to a lot of the, you know, most of the people who identified as anarchists. And that's nothing to do with the philosophy. I think that's just kind of uh, something that, you know, is more of a correlation to people who are drawn to radical ideologies often have um, are experiencing something uh, really challenging in their lives. Um, so you get a lot of misfits and uh, people who are dealing with mental health issues or financial issues. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, him saying that, it, you know, he was really, I think saying, you know, most people, even though they on paper, 
believe in the state, they believe in the government, uh, in action, they are quite anarchistic in that they respect other people's property, they respect other people's sovereignty, they, you know, operate from the desire of for love and compassion and wanting people to, you know, be well and, you know, not suffer. So I, I think we're probably doing better than a lot of anarchists like to think um, or put out there. But often, too, I, I think when people are linking themselves to ideologies, they're very often um, doing it because of something going on in their own lives. And their ideologies are often, the, their discussions around them are expressions of their own personal challenges, which is something that is very true in our, our series. It's, uh, you know, our, our main characters, John and Lily, are themselves fugitives on the run, dealing with uh, evading the law. And even before they were actually fugitives, they were trying to start lives that were sort of arbitrarily illegal, which was, you know, trying to grow cannabis and start a cannabis business. And, um, or in Lily's case, just treat her pain from a jaw injury. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I think we're doing all right. I think, uh, <laughs> I think we always have room for improvement and I think it, that is it though. I think there will always be, you know, lots of room for improvement and, you know, even more room to make things worse. And that is just the human journey. That is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I definitely agree. And on that note, yeah, it's obviously it's been a controversial series. So, you know, lots of haters and people screaming, Oh, you're a shill or, you know, FBI or CIA or, <laughs> Like whatever, you know, um, <laughs> I, do you have any thoughts on that? And as far as, um, how, I don't know, like just any, any, anything regarding that? Yeah. Uh, it's actually, it, it has not been as bad as I thought it would be. Um, for the most part, we've the, you know, the people we were following in the series feel like we did a respectful job and we told the true story. I think what a lot of people don't know, and I get the outside perspective, it's like kind of wild that, you know, someone would like just happen to be there, like making an HBO docuseries as these murders were happening. And I can see where the conspiracy theory detectors would start to, you know, flash their lights. But I, like I said before, you know, there are filmmakers and journalists out there all the time, like covering stories and looking for stories that go nowhere and nothing mm -hmm. happens. And from the beginning, I, you know, I wasn't like trying to pick the like craziest, most dramatic stuff. Like these were the people that I started to follow back in 2016 when they were in their honeymoon phase and excited about the future and dreaming big about this community. And uh, yeah, I just continued to follow them and tell their story. And I think also for people who, you know, uh, I know you guys aren't as like invested in the conference and Anarchapulco. Have you, I don't even, have either of you been there? Or, I've never uh, been. No, uh, yeah. So, go. yeah. And there is a divide between, you know, people who are just into the ideology and people, you know, a lot of people feel protective of the movement down there and feel like we were, you know, trying to trash the conference or whatever. But these were the, you know, key players too. It's not like we, just picked the the worst people. It's like we picked the people who were running the events and were leading 
uh, the change that was happening down there. So, yeah, I, it's also interesting <laughs> being on this side of it too. It's like how uh, I've, you know, always sought out conspiracy theorists. I love hearing a good conspiracy theory because conspiracies do happen. So someone's mm -hmm. got to <laughs> theorize about them if we're ever going to reveal them. Mm -hmm. Um, but to be on this side of it is kind of funny and interesting. I'm uh, sure it must be kind of surreal for sure to be there. Cause I mean, you documented something, a group coming together, establishing something, and then somebody gets shot. I mean, that could be the story of the American education system, right? <laughs> like that's basically, uh, everything that you're documenting is, you know, within a certain con, it could happen anywhere, right? It doesn't necessarily make it, um, right or wrong you know uh it's just uh showing one attempt at putting like i think you said it really well like an ideological group together which is going to have it's going to have it's 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 that's limited to just values maybe we need to uh widen our scope and start to add some other variables and and metrics into our groups as we continue to learn from our own mistakes you know but uh but I mean, you know, as far as like the danger and in, in, in that, I think what's the most important and what's so cool about what you guys have done is that you've put these ideas out there for people to actually consider. And that is, to me, uh, really, really cool. Because because like, like we talked about it the first time uh, and Christian was talking about how his mom, uh, he was like, he, he had told her to watch the show yeah. to figure out some of these ideas. My mom, I swear to God, it was two days later. She was up here and she was like, I watched the show, the Anarchist, <laughs> <laughs> on HBO. It was so good. It, it, and, uh, it totally made sense. Like everything, a lot of the things that you've said before. And, um, and so if that's the case, then you've got a, a bunch of people talking about philosophy and exploring an entire world of ideas that, previously were basically unknown. It's like unlocking a treasure chest if people will actually start to look into this stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I hope I, you know, I've actually, I will say too, I've heard a lot of people come back. I know a lot of people that are like very, very deep in the movement and um, emotionally attached to it feel uh, afraid because we've shown a, you know, I, I think we showed a pretty broad view of the events that happened. It wasn't, you know, the story was in the end very tragic, but we showed a lot of the highs and positivity that was going on. And um, we, I think, talked about the ideas in a, you know, fair way that was uh, true to what the people in the story believed. But um, yeah, and I've had plenty of people uh, who um, don't even know me or like my background that I had, you know, my involvement, they just know me as a filmmaker and journalist who, you know, came to me and they're like, wow, I was like, it's an amazing story. But also, like, I had no idea that these were concepts that were out there. And I immediately went and, you know, bought a couple books. And um, I hope to in making the show, I saved them some time from like, the movement aspect of philosophy and anarchism. And they can see, you know, the distinction between that, I, I think, audiences even of mainstream media are generally more intelligent than people give them credit for and they can, you know, parse things in that way. And uh, yeah, I, I hope I just, yeah, save some people the time of, you know, getting wrapped up 
in that and then joining a cult you're trying to help people <laughs> that's one way it's one way to put it yeah joining well, a cult or a cult like thing um no no totally yeah i yeah. think a lot of our listeners are going to be familiar with uh, the concept uh, of energetic pendulums and that our identity is often wrapped up in things that are completely arbitrary to who we actually are in a real uh real way so um, so fortunately, you know, maybe unfortunately, you know, I could probably make a lot more money if uh, we didn't uh, talk about concepts like that. But, uh, <laughs> but, but that whole idea of like cult and cult of personality, it starts to become, you know, a thing that we see a pattern over and over and over and over again. And um, I just think it's really, really cool that you have been able to put these ideas out there and give them more of a platform you know, we still have to heal. We have to do the work. We have to understand um, what happens and what the consequences are when we identify with an ideology or a group of people or what have you uh, as well and really grow and learn from our mistakes, other people's mistakes as well. So, um, so yeah, no, I, I love what you, you guys have done. Um, and I'd love to know, um, you know, what, uh, what what is what is next what, what's the next thing for you to do yeah immediately in the short term uh i like i said throughout my life i've been divided between music and filmmaking so it has been a true joy of having a, a little bit less of a hectic schedule and i'm um, getting to build out my home studio studio a bit and also uh, getting to collaborate with my wife, who's always right here next to me, <laughs> um, Kim, who's an incredible songwriter and singer and musician. Uh, we produced and recorded two songs that were in the shows. They were the credit tracks for episodes four and six. Um, we're releasing those as singles on uh, September 23rd. And uh, that will eventually lead up to a, a full length album that should be coming out sometime next year. And also, yeah, we're in the early stages of just enjoying the freedom of being able to work on anything we want now. So we've got a couple different uh, documentary projects in the work. I'm uh, getting back in touch with a couple of my earlier passions like punk rock and uh, baseball was another one um, that for some reason I like left for years and now I'm getting back into. So a couple documentary ideas uh, linked to those things that are in development and yeah, maybe a, a couple scripted things that are uh, not making any announcements yet, but uh, yeah, I'm also working on. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah that sounds like a lot of fun. I, I think scripted stuff uh, would be really fun. And uh, I've heard one of your tracks uh, for sure. And it was awesome. Uh, Kim has a great voice. Uh, beautiful. And uh, yeah, I'll put links to that stuff in the show notes. Cool to know that you're working on a full length album and yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, uh, the production I wanted to say too uh, was excellent. Like the yeah, audio, it was top notch, excellent. Uh, great job with all of that. It was. Yeah, dope. thank you. I mean, we had an amazing team. That's uh, you know the great thing about working with you know these bigger entities is you get to hire fantastic people. So we had some just really brilliant editors. We had uh, lots of original music in the show by a, a composer named Antonio Sanchez. He's mostly known as a jazz drummer who composed the score for uh, Birdman a few years back, right. um, which is absolutely stellar. Um, but yeah, he went way beyond his jazz drumming in the show and um, still had his jazz roots, which is kind of like a fun way to score a story about anarchism. I feel like jazz mm -hmm. and anarchy go kind of hand in hand in some ways. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
in a very beautiful way. Uh, so yeah, he was fantastic to work with too. Just an amazing team of you know co-producers and editors and graphics artists, illustrators. It was just such a thrill. So I don't want to take too much credit. I mean, I like <laughs> I tried to you know I, I felt like more than anything the the keeper of the story, the person who's you know directing, but. Yeah, it, it takes a team to make a project like that. So it's always good to remember that when you're watching these shows. It's not just the the one guy doing the interviews. It's a lot of really, really talented, talented crew people as well. That's awesome. Well, every, it, it turned out great. Yeah. And I do uh, also say I recommend to people watch the credits at the end of one of these shows and see how many hundreds of names that it takes to be able to pull something like this off. It's not it's not a, it's not an easy thing to coordinate at all. Um, you know, on the film, the film stuff, I think a lot of people who probably hate and have these ideas, they just very often don't understand the process and the complications of all of these things. Right. Like I've had the good fortune to work on a couple of uh, things. Um, and you know, there's so many different variables and people's you got to please and, producers and it's yeah like, yeah especially <laughs> the hiring creatives it's like you, just because you know you're the director you can't force people to do creative things you can't you know creativity is something that has to be cultivated and nurtured and um that more than anything i was you know and maybe not more than anything but that was a you know major part of the process as well is just trying to create a positive community around a story that we're trying to tell so yeah it's a it's a struggle making making movies but it's a i think worthwhile one. definitely worthwhile yeah great job yeah i'm and and I, I appreciate and admire all the times you made projects that didn't didn't make it this far you know so i know i know it's uh i know it's a grind um so um uh, I got the bird murmur uh, website pulled up. Where else can people, where should people come and find you? Uh, bird murmur is your production company. I yeah. Think. Bird murmur. We're on Instagram. You can follow me personally. Uh, my Instagram is kind of the only social media I have right now. It's just at Todd Schramke. Um, yeah. And uh, you can check out our music as under my wife's uh, last name, which is just Kyland. Um, so yeah. Follow that to hear what we have coming out in that department. Awesome. Yeah. I'll put those uh, links in the show notes. Christian, uh, where can people connect with you? Oh man, I am. Uh, I'm gone from the internet. I've gone incognito for a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'll be back. I got some big things in the works I'm working on some content, just taking a little mental health break from social media, but earth magic rising on uh, well, the website will actually be up soon. So cool. Awesome, man. Well, uh, let me know what it is. I'll share it out and yeah. Uh, follow, uh, follow Christian at earth magic rising on Instagram. He'll be back there maybe at some point. Very soon. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, dude, good for you. Uh, leading the charge, uh, doing a mental health thing. That's, that's good. Um, so yeah, yeah. I'm just waiting for the algorithm to forget all my buying trends. <laughs> uh, no, then I'll hop back on. Fair enough. <laughs> that's a good strategy. <laughs> Well, thanks a lot again, Todd. Uh, thank you, Christian. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. Uh, thanks, Kim. Y'all keep pumping it out. Can't wait to hear your full album. And uh, we'll see you all on the next one. Peace out, everybody. <laughs>